0: Like here. Uh, people will start to come in, uh, I assume, throughout. Uh, but I don't know if, not sure exactly who's going to come through. Uh, anyway, but I got to be honest, y'all. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen in these playoffs. Like, I just feel like there's so many variables, so much that could possibly happen. We, you, you already throw in that the season is going to be weird anyway because of COVID, because we, there's so many absences throughout the season. I mean, the Nets have had their big three together for like what, eight games. So how we already come in with like these seedings being really unpredictable and really probably not reflective of total team quality. But there's still like a lot of absences uh, going on. So we don't know if like actually maybe they are indicative of team quality. Uh, so you got all of that. You have COVID and the, the condensed season already kind of benefiting some teams and not others. And then you got the playing game, which will just like kind of throw. I, I We've never seen anything like this and in the NBA before. I think it's important to have that sort of intellectual humility. You know, what, there's all this talk about, like, well, you can't bet against LeBron in an elimination game, and can you bet against Russell Westbrook in an elimination game? And, God, oh, you can't can't do that using sort of Game 7s as, like, the template. And I'm not saying that all that is wrong. I just – we've – you know, uh, that's a good question, Billy. We're going to get to that. So, obviously, for those who are here, like, definitely come on and – Make a speaker request, talk to me. Uh, we're gonna talk, we're gonna kind of leave this wide open. Uh, because I'm really curious what you guys think about the playoffs and certain matchups and what's gonna happen. But, uh, anyway, getting back to the point at hand, like we've never had a one game play in for a seed before or like an elimination game in that regard. I mean, the only example we have so far is of that Portland Memphis game last year that was just a total crazy game that ended very tight you know there's a lot of weird stuff that happens so i'm not ruling anything out in these playoffs like i i don't know what's going to happen but i'm not ruling anything out like it does make sense that like yeah you probably don't want to bet against lebron in a winner take all scenario or steph curry in a winner take all scenario can get hot or all these things but i'm not going to assume that like i i could see almost anything happening and since it's so new i think it's on us to be able to just sit and watch back and consider all possible options for these these games. It's just, it's such a new thing, and I'm really excited to see how it plays out. But right off the bat, we've got somebody who wants to talk. Uh, Patrick, hello. You're on with Limited Upside. What's up? Oh, hello. You still, you there, buddy? Can you hear me? I can hear you. What's up, Patrick?
1: Oh, hey. Thanks, Mike, for having me on. Um... First, I want to start with like imagine being a, working hard to get a top two seed, and then having to face the Lakers, you know, in the first <laughs> round.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like imagine being the. I think that's right kind of like yeah that that yeah, sucks I mean, if you're the. I songs. think that's. Um, like,
1: yeah, um, as far it's as pretty
0: bad. Players, um What's up? As
1: far as the play-ins I, I mean, can't really hear you. I think the one I think two of the funner teams to watch will be the the Wizards. I think it'll be mm-hmm. really fun to watch to see them. Cause I just think the Celtics, I mean, I, I think they're pretty much you know, toast.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of that sort of talk going on, especially after Jalen Brown was out. Uh what, what, who's? Who else are you excited for? I mean, is it also the Warriors, or is there is there some intrigue in the 9 and 10 seeds?
1: Um, I mean, the Hornets. I, I think the Hornets can really, like, I don't think they would win, you know, against whoever they play. But, I mean, Ball has been play, playing pretty well. You know, that team is pretty feisty. So, I just, I, I think in the East, I mean, I, I don't really, the Pacers, I just think they're too, Kind of beat up. Yeah. Too off and on. I mean, the big game is, you know, the Warriors and the Lakers. That's, that's you know, I bet the NBA is kicking the seals that they got that matchup.
0: Yeah. No, that they're very excited. Uh, it's funny, it, circling back to the East, you see, you sort of have like two teams in the Wizards and the Hornets that like are excited to be here and two teams that are like, God, just let the season end. Like the Celtics and the Pacers, I expected really good things from Indiana this year, and have been really let down. And Boston's obviously had a bit of a nightmare season. Although I I thought they would struggle a little more than other folks did. Uh, but the Wizards, I think I would be more excited. Obviously, I'm a Wizards fan. Uh, you all know that. I would be more excited about like sort of their run if Bradley Beal was fully healthy. I I kind of wonder if this play in seven, eight game. And if they lose the the next game is like his last hurrah. And we're heading towards, you know, remember when Damian Lillard had that like one amazing game in the playoffs last year. And then he kind of was ruled out to due to injury. And like, even though that was an acute injury, that was kind of aware. He had kind of done so much to get there that you almost could understand that like he kind of had done his job. I feel like Bradley Beal is about to be in that spot. Like I would be surprised if he plays If the Wizards make a playoff series, I would guess that he's not going to play that whole series. Like, he looks pretty banged up, and a hamstring is no joke. So I feel a little – I feel like they're slightly less exciting because of that. But Russell Westbrook, I mean, it is sort of a fun matchup, Boston-Washington, because – on the one hand, I think Boston's got a better team, even still. On the other hand, the motivation is very much on the Wizards' side. And I, if I'm the Celtics, I'm not sure how I match up with both Beale and Westbrook with the personnel that I have. You can only put Marcus Smart on one of them. So that's that, what I'm be... excited about. I think Charlotte, I would have been more excited about Charlotte if Gordon Hayward was healthy. I think once he went down, they lost a lot of their buzz, pun intended. <laughs> um, but... You know, now I think you have this problem where they've they've closed the season really poorly. You saw it if you were watching that Wizards game on Sunday, when push came to shove, like they got off to this blitzing start and they were making all these threes, but once that stopped happening, they didn't really have a great place to go in crunch time. They didn't really have a driving rim presence, you know, to get to the hoop. And then defensively, they're uh, pretty weak, although they do a lot of really interesting junk stuff to kind of. Make up for that. Some cool, if you're a basketball nerd, you love the way they switch, the way they play zones sometimes. But I think once he lost Hayward, that was somebody who could get into the lane and make place for others. LaMelo Ball is a really fun player to watch. I think that LaMelo Ball's season has been slightly overrated individually. I think he, look, he's a, I think he should win rookie of the year. He's going to be a great player. I think that he's gotten a little bit too much credit for Charlotte's play that should be spread around a little more. And I think you saw some of Lamella's limitations at the end of that Wizards game. You see it a lot at the end of games earlier in the season. I just don't know if they have as much bite as they would have with Hayward. I think if Hayward had stayed healthy, I think this team might've been a top six seed and would have been very scary, but that's, that's where I'm at with them. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's what I'm excited about.
1: I'm super invested in literally all four games. You know, I think the Spurs Grizzlies, like, you know, the Spurs. I mean, they got the best coach in the NBA. I mean, Popovich, like, you know, who pulls some stuff out. But I, I just don't see them beating Memphis. And, you know, Memphis. That that's, I mean, you know, I'm sure they're waiting to get their revenge on the Warriors. If you know, if they if the Lakers end up winning that game, but yeah. I, 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 I feel like the playing really did its job. You know, it got a lot more like interest, and a lot of like you know like funs, like a little, some hype right before the actual playoffs start.
0: I agree. I think it's great. I think the people, most of the complaints, I think, were misdirected at the playing game, and that should have been directed elsewhere. Like, like when the Mavericks were saying, like, "Oh, like we have to do more traveling at the end of this long season. Now we got to add stress to this play-in game," like. Can they, what they're really upset about is that they they pack 72 games into this season ridiculously in order to kind of make money and where they shouldn't yeah. have. Like, that's not the play-in's fault. Like, you can have a play-in after 60 games and it would have been much that, – that's the solution there. And I think that's – um That's true. Jackson, I'm going to get to your question and we can talk about that uh, a little bit. But yeah, I think that's true with like all LeBron's complaints too. I mean, he's upset because it's another thing for him to worry about in addition to all the other stuff happening. And the problem is really with all the other stuff happening. I'm really curious to see what happens to the playing game next year. If only because I think it will be even better with like a normal season. I think the races were exciting here, but I think they would have been even better if these guys weren't dead tired from this ridiculous season. So I am very, and I'm obviously super curious with how it turns out. I think these are going to be great games. I also think that like kind of the sanctity of the one eight is like ridiculous. I mean, the one eight kind of playoff format. There's nothing special about it. They they didn't have that until 1984 and then they switched it. I mean, playoff the fact a playoff format in general is like an engineered thing for entertainment purposes, right? Like why even have a playoffs? So, I don't see what's any more gimmicky about the play-in tournament than 1-8. I think it's actually kind of solves a lot of problems at once because it adds intrigue to teams that otherwise are kind of roadkill in that first round. It gives them something to be excited about. So, I'm Thank into you. I'm with you. Uh so I I think these games will be really interesting. I don't know about Indiana Charlotte. That one might be a little, eh, but I think Memphis is like a perfect playing team. Like they they seem this mean it would mean a lot to them if they got a top eight seed. They're a really good foil. Uh like Steph had a great game on Sunday, but like the Grizzlies played quite well and made that game interesting. Like they they're kind of like a good I don't want to call them like a Washington Generals type, but they're like a good foil. And It's interesting you mentioned Pop. Like, I think in general, yes, the Spurs are the weakest of these teams. But I think it will be interesting to see in a one-game scenario what is Pop going to do, particularly to kind of bait John Morant, who had a rough game against Golden State. I think he's had a bit of a rough season. Uh, I think I don't think he's been the same player since he shattered his ankle. Um, uh, Aaron, can you speak? Yeah, just if you want to speak, just make a speaker request. I'll get you on. Um, But yeah. I think uh, Moran had a rough year and I feel like his struggles shooting the ball, the type of thing you'll recall pop in the like finals with Miami. He would always go way under on LeBron's screens. I would, I can see him doing the same to ja and just totally throwing him off his game and making that interesting. So I'm with you, uh, Patrick, anything else you want to talk about?
1: Uh, that's pretty much it. Like I'll just make one more comment. And I'll get off to someone else. I mean, that's pretty much like, even as a Mavericks fan, like, I think the playing game. I mean, it's just, it's just this year. I mean, you know, you're cramming where they normally play three games a week to now they're playing five games a week. You know, and some even almost up to six games. Which, you know, with the back to backs, so I think it'd be fine for like future seasons. You know, and it's just like those coaches, like with the Spurs, like you know, just like Rick Carlisle, like they don't show their hand during the regular season. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if they really trap Morant and force, you know, some of the other players like Dylan Brooks and, you know, some of their other stars. So I'm super excited, you know, and that's pretty much all I got. I appreciate it.
0: Hey, thanks for chatting. And I'm excited for that Spurs Grizzlies game as like a nerd fan. Um, obviously I'm not as excited for that as Spurs, Lake there's the Lakers and the Warriors, but I actually, I, I'm guessing that they're going to make Josh shoot all the time. Jackson made a good point in the chat. Uh, With Ja, I mean, we can talk. uh, I'm going to get to you, Aaron, one second. I'm sorry. But, like, the Ja thing, like, he can't shoot pull-up shots. I think his footwork is really jacked up. I think it's been jacked up since the ankle injury. When you come off a screen and you either are kind of go rise and fire uh, into a three, like a pull-up three, you've really got to get, like, your hop. you really got to hop into the shot before you even really brush off the screen. You know, you're making your decision then that gives you the rhythm to be able to fire. You're basically making your read there. But to do that, I think you need two sound feet and you need a strong trunk and all the things that you need to shoot well. And ever since Jaws' ankle injury, and I know he wasn't he wasn't a great shooter before, but he, he shot better last year, I believe. Ever since that ankle injury, I don't think he's been able to kind of make that hop into a shot. And so he ends up kind of like chopping his steps what slowly winding up and then like firing with a lot of arms and it just doesn't look right. He needs to fix that in the off season I think. Um all right, let's get Aaron on cuz I know he's been wanting to speak. Aaron, what's up?
2: Uh hey man. Um so if you were to get two players in the NBA currently, who do you think would make the best and broken duo in the league?
0: The best duo in the league?
2: Yeah, like it can be anyone, literally anyone.
0: LeBron James and Anthony Davis when they're healthy
2: no like they don't play on the same team no just I,
0: just... I I know I oh. I still think that's the answer
2: oh uh, I I would say um Steph Curry and Yanis Antetokounmpo personally because you can see them in the all-star game and they're unbelievable they're just so good like yeah you see them yeah play together
0: well you can put you um, can put Steph with anyone um but, I mean, this kind of goes back to the Lakers' uh, chances in general. I've kind of believed all year, if LeBron and AD are right, there's nobody that's beating them. Uh, just They really complement each other so well, not just in the way they play offense and defense, but the different positions they play, the supersize on the back line. Davis, when last year, really kind of did a lot of the sort of grunt work that, LeB- that allowed LeBron to kind of take over. Um, Drummond and Drummond, yeah. Luca and Steph Curry. That's an interesting combo. I feel like, uh, would Luca be like willing to set all the screens for Steph? Like, I feel like Steph and Draymond, if you played like two on two at the Y, uh, when they're like 60 years old, like they're just going to kick everyone's butt. Like they all this stuff they do. Um, but I just don't think there's, I mean, the problem with the, the Lakers is just, those guys may not be right, but if they're right, I, yeah, that's the thing. Like last year, They were the two best players in the league last year. I think they came into this year. uh, Um, I, uh,
2: yeah, I, I, they were like up there. Uh, They're up there in the bubble, hundred percent. But I wouldn't say in the off season, like the early off season before, um, the bubble. I would say, um. Honestly, in my opinion, I would say Yannis uh, Antetokounmpo over AD, but that's just my opinion because I think if you were to take AD out of that LA team and put him into the um the Milwaukee Bucks team, I think he would do as a, as a better job as Yannis Antetokounmpo has done.
0: Yeah.
2: I know we all because of the chemistry and stuff, but honestly, in my opinion, if you give them the same time, I think Yanis would be the better player.
0: We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I am a big Anthony Davis fan. I think most people here know that. I've written about it before. I think there, last year he put together one of the single most incredible defensive stretches I've ever seen uh, in the playoffs. Um, I I think you're probably right that they wouldn't be better, but that's sort of why LeBron and AD are a great duo. They complement each other. Yeah, they have so. a
2: lot of chemistry.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: you can go off the court. They are a good thing. One more thing is – do you think the Milwaukee Bucks will make it um, past Miami Heat in the playoffs?
0: Yes, I do. Uh, Milwaukee, I think, is a bit of a sleeping giant this year.
2: Yeah, I think uh, they're underrated because like, they have a few underrated players, which I would say Chris Middleton. But um, I don't know what it is with buttonholzer, but I, uh, he's just played. I think he's playing. I think Bobby Portis is – I think he's a good six-man, but I think he has to be there over Brook Lopez. Like, I think he has to be there.
0: My guess is that they're not going to close with either of them, and they're going to close with P.J. Tucker at center and play small. Uh, but you do have some options there. Um,
2: yeah, I, I'm a big fan of P.J. Tucker myself, but he he's all right. Like, I think – I don't know about that trade. I know it's a small trade and everything, but, like, um, I, was, I wouldn't be the biggest fan of that trade. I don't know because, like, he's old. He is experienced but not for the future kind of player. You
0: know what I mean? Well, I don't think they're playing for the future right now. I think yeah. they just got to win. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much. Because I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the Bucks because this is kind of a very interesting – Patrick says if Giannis can shoot, learn to shoot free throws, he'd be super dominant. I believe Giannis has improved as a free throw shooter at the end of this season. I have to check the numbers, but I think he has improved there. I mean, over the course of the season. So Milwaukee – last year they blitz everyone they play a miami team that i think is really well suited to beating them you also have to consider all the stuff i mean it, it's impossible to know exactly how much this affected their play but you remember they're at the center of the jacob bill lake protests and the sitting out and which was an incredibly important thing to do for the world but probably wasn't the best thing for their playoff uh hopes and you know, I, I think that that's a factor that it's hard to quantify, but it's important to keep in mind. They play a series that I think they just just totally botched the strategy of it. I think you mentioned uh, Jackson. Giants shot seventy three percent at the line post All Star game. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sixty nine percent overall. Yeah, so he's, he he improved. Um, the Bucks came into that series, I think, with the very the wrong attitude, and they knew it. I think immediately afterwards. Um, I had talked about it last year on the web on the newsletter when I was still writing. Um, they they were playing Giannis so far from the hoop that Miami would do the, play these like sort of hyper aggressive zone slash man stuff that they would flood the sort of nail area around the free throw line. They would play their zone was very much kind of pushed up in a way that you think of a zone as kind of designed to protect the basket. Miami's was not like that. And you, and that was true when they played man-to-man. And so every time Giannis would get the ball at the top of the key, he'd have to look at five heat players coming in and out at like kind of various points that he would have trouble reading because he's not LeBron as a passer. So to me, the, the strategy that they always should have employed and they never did is they should have put Le- Giannis closer to the basket more in the low post, more in the pinch post, play more as the more like a big man, uh, which they only dabbled with last year. Now this year, they have done a lot of stuff that is pointed more in that direction. One of the things that they've done that was is that they put they've stopped with the five out. Um, Patrick, I want to talk about the Clippers because I. I, I I definitely want to talk about the Clippers. I don't have a good feel for them, and yeah, that was fun. Less thing that happened over the weekend with their tank job, but Milwaukee is now putting instead of going five out, uh, five guys beyond the three point line. They're now putting doing something interesting where they're putting their guard with Drew Holiday as a as a key player in this, uh, and he and you know Jackson mentioned it. I think Drew Holiday. There aren't that many people talking about how much they gave up to get Drew Holiday now. I mean, when you look at the way he played versus Bledsoe, I mean, you see why they made that trade. Like it's um, yeah. Jackson's talking about it. And if you want to come on and talk it out and, and you can kind of help explain this. Cause I think you kind of know what I'm talking about. Uh, they've got Giannis playing more closer to the basket, whether it's at the free throw line extended, he calls it the pinch post uh, and the dunker spot, which is kind of the baseline along Along the basket, Uh, they'll have the guard there, which kind of throws all sorts of different spacing elements into into play. So now Miami, it's a lot harder to play this stunt sort of spray out in out in kind of boxes and elbows style defense that like kind of swarms because Giannis now, if he's closer to the basket, you now have to worry about that soft underbelly in the middle that they've given up. And, uh, hey, let's get Jack's on because let's talk about it. Hey, buddy. What's up, Jack? How are you doing today? Hey. So, hey, what kind of dog is that? Uh, you there? I am
3: here. I apologize right as I logged on. My dog started uh, started doing I something. But uh, I, I am here,
0: yes. I like it. I like it, uh I like the dogs. um was I explaining uh the the way the Bucks strategy has changed um and as Sean says, weren't they doing that last year? Uh, I don't think they really were doing it as much, but maybe you I would say differently, and why that's sort of tailor made to beat the heat style of play
3: yeah I mean I mean, I think I know only as much as you and I. Mean, I and I watched the Bucks. you know, I'm sure we've watched a similar amount this year. But, um, yeah, the Heat, I mean, any team that slows Giannis down, well, you can go back to the Raptors two years ago, is they really kind of, they put those big, long, mobile guys where as you just have to kind of play a pseudo-zone type thing, um, where they kind of play them in between, like when, they, when Giannis has the ball in this five-out offense, they'll kind of, the low man, the low man will kind of station themselves like one foot in the paint, one foot out. And they'll have those. They'll be able to guard both against like a Giannis drive and kind of to play the corners because Giannis loves getting that, getting a help to better to commit and then spray out to the shooter. That's how he racked up a ton of assists and drives and stuff as two MVP years. Um, but teams like the Raptors and the Heat were able to kind of take away those options by sending, putting Jay Crowder or, or Marcus Gasol or Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka, these guys who have the strength and the length, to kind of and some sort of mobility. Not Gasol as much, but some sort of mobility to kind of close out the shooter if Giannis wants to make the pass. Um, but now it's tougher because it, for, it it puts more options in in kind of Giannis's line of sight. You know, rather than you know because they would they would what teams did really well because Giannis still isn't a great. I mean, he's improved as a passer, but he's still not great. There, what teams would do is they'd force kind of that that weak side kick to the far corner a lot by loading up help when Giannis would drive, and that's kind of a tough read for him. So now what they've done is made it easier. Um, where Drews in the Drews in the dunker spot, and he's a great finisher. De Vincenzo is a pretty good finisher too for his size. Um, so rather than putting him in the far corner, look kind of hang around, um, kind of along the baseline. And, and Eric Eric Nem of the Athletic had a really great piece early in the mm-hmm. year, um, kind of breaking that down with some really great um, graphics and whatnot, and kind of showing how the changes have happened and and well, So that's kind of what I've noticed. I don't know, maybe that's that's just what I've seen and kind of where they've tried to you know help mask some of Giannis's flaws because there are things he needs to do, do better. But I think a lot of it, you know. Fell. I'm just trying to use him in a different way because he is he is a very multifaceted offensive player. Despite you know not really being able to shoot outside of seven to eight feet or whatever it is consistently.
0: Yeah, and what other piece of that too is you've mentioned you've shown it um, on Twitter, I believe, but they are using Giannis more when a big man is playing on him and playing the old ten foot off defense to make him shoot. He's now going into dribble handoffs. With guys like Middleton and and Holiday and even – and Brent Forbes is the other one if he gets some good minutes. And the space that you're yielding, he's screening, and that's a, that's a wide-open three-pointer. And those are really good shooters, I guess, not great in Holiday's case. But the other part that I think is important for people to understand with the dunker spot versus the five-out is – it's they're putting a guard there specifically. They're not putting a lot of times you think of the dunker spot as you put your kind of big guy there so that you dump the ball off to him. He can slam it or you can throw a lob. Like Clint Capella was a big dunker spot guy when he played with James Harden. Um, But the bucks are putting their guards there. Holiday, Divincenzo. they're not putting Brooke Lopez there a lot. One reason is that they're now shifting Lopez a little more out to the wing. Um, which potentially, again, it may not happen with Miami because of the out of bio guards, everyone. But in theory, it spreads your biggest defender further out. And so it puts a smaller guy in the help position. But also, those guys can sneak in for offensive rebounds, can shoot layups, but they can also take the... Pass from in the dunker spot and then kick to the corner themselves. Basically, make that tough read that you are talking about that Giannis and that the Heat took away from Giannis. They can make that pass themselves. They can sort of do a little tic tac toe. Ironically, one guy who does it really well is Andre Iguodala, who's on Miami. So, when you consider that, when you consider the upgrade to Holiday, which I, from Holiday to Bledsoe is like a huge upgrade. Uh and you're seeing it with the way Holiday has played without Giannis, which I believe those lines have been pretty good. When you consider some of the additional pieces they have, I think I know Aaron's not a huge fan of Tucker, but I, I think that's a good guy to have. Um when you consider all that, plus Miami, I think offensively is not as good as they were last year, without Drogic being incredible. Uh maybe he'll have another great playoff, I'm not seeing it with maybe more time for Kendrick Dunn with, I know Trevor Ariza um, is playing better, but he's not playing as well as Jay Crowder was in the bubble. Um, This is a good question for you, Jackson. You're still on the Billy ass. How badly does Miami need Drogic to flip the switch to pull an upset? Uh, How far off was he where he was pre plan or tear? Has he been the last few weeks? If he can't flip the switch, can we trust Tyler hero to handle the ball to kill Brooke Lopez when he drops on the pick and roll? What say you?
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I just I don't buy Miami's offense this year. I think Drogic has played better as of late but from the games and, and film I've caught. It's a lot of hot shooting, whereas last year he wasn't like he didn't drive to the rim a ton, but when he did get to the rim in the playoffs, I think he shot like 70% or something, which is a, a good number for anyone, let alone a, a guard like Drogic. So uh, I don't buy. I know Hero's been playing better, too, but one of Hero's kind of issues is, you know, like – he can't really get to the rim either. He can't really create. I mean, he can create in terms of he'll hit some pull ups, and step backs. But like, I think if if the if the Heat are diverting offense away from Bam or Jimmy or even Dragic or Kendrick, Nunn, who's you know played uh, quite well over the last few months, uh, and Tyler Hero's the one attacking. I think that the Bucks live with that. Um, I don't think like a reliable source of offense this year should be Tyler Hero's six dribbles and trying to step back three, which you know works at times last year. He had a very good playoff run, but. Um, he's not someone who's going to beat the slow-footed Brooke Lopez off the off the dribble very often and gets the rim because he's not a good finisher and he's just not a great, you know, kind of straight-line driver I guess would be the, the way to phrase it. Um so I, I I just I don't buy Miami this year in the sense that I I, I know Bam and Jimmy have been really good and maybe the, the team struggles of a whole have kind of overshadowed how how well they've done. Um but I just don't think they have the the balance of, you know, offense. You know, I don't think they're guys who kind of challenge the defense like in terms of like who I guess compromised their own defense and with their like with offensive firepower have been good enough on that end to kind of give them give the heat that trade off there where it's worth it. They have a lot of one way players, which I guess a lot of lower seeds do and worse teams in general do, but I think that's really been the Heat's issue. You don't have a lot of guys you can trust to produce on both ends and not really be a liability on one side of the floor this year.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm mostly with you. I think there is they will still give problems because Butler is such a such a good player, and I, I I don't think the the Bucks have a great matchup for him. I guess it, it, Giannis would have to take that assignment all the time. To me, though the the two pieces that have changed with Miami that I think make them worse is one is is Dragic. I mean, people forget how good how well he was playing last year, and in particular, you you made a good point, Jackson. The rim attack, the ability to kind of run. All this stuff that you that Miami runs to spread Milwaukee out, and yet they still had a guard who could get downhill on the move, off pick and roll, and and Drogic, and finish. I mean, he'd have to really be the player, a player he hasn't been all season, I think, to mm-hmm. to replicate that. And that's an element they don't have anymore. Where you you're running all this stuff with Duncan Robinson and Butler's doing all the stuff he does, and you know the other guys running off all those screens but at the end of the day you, you don't have can you do all that and clear out a side for a Drogic bam pick and roll the same way you could last year it doesn't look like it and yeah
3: I, I think what I've noticed too is you know like what Drogic did in last year is like they run all this side-to-side movement right right it's rather when they're running a kind of collective offense besides the Jimmy ISOs and this year some more bam face-ups it's a lot of side-to-side horizontal movement and Drogic kind of gave them that that other aspect where you could kind of cut into those creases of the defense, that they're screening and passing created. And Drogic just doesn't quite have that same zip this year to kind of break up the monotony of, okay, we'll try Duncan Band ban pick and roll or not pick and roll. Sometimes I mean, decide to pick and roll, but whatever you hard.
0: call there are too. Many yeah. Games. Yeah.
3: Two <laughs> name, I guess is the best, the best description. Yeah, um, But Drogic just kind of gave them that, that guy who could kind of puncture into the teeth of the defense with, with a vertical drive or vertical, you know, angle or whatever. That just isn't there this year, the same year. Obviously, Jimmy can kind of get to wherever he wants on the floor with his his strength and his ball control, and, and Bam's taking a step forward offensively. But um, they just need more. Than they just have, they just rely so much on perimeter shooting this year from guys who are kind of undersized. Obviously, Duncan Robinson is six eight, um, but heroes kind of small. Um, Dragich is small, and Nuns. Small and not in the sense of like, I mean, they're not undersized guards, but they're just undersized players against a team like Milwaukee, which is a, a pretty dang large starting five. Um, I, mean, I think I think Drew or DeVin is their smallest guy, and, and Drew was obviously functionally stronger than six three, and and DeVin like six four. Um, so I, yeah. d- I just struggle to see kind of how they they work with that, especially with the way that Giannis has improved offensively um, this year, how they've improved using Giannis, and how he's improved on his own. Um, I just struggle to see them really kind of. You know, right. put, put up a fight. But I am curious to watch the I think Drew will probably take Jimmy Butler if I had to guess. Um, hmm. Yeah, I guess I,
0: he, I guess so. Although, would then, I would imagine DiVincenzo would be the guy to chase Robinson. Yeah, and you would.
3: I think maybe, but he also, he, he kind of tends to take risks and have some breakdowns. So I wonder if maybe they wouldn't want to. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess then do you throw Chris on a reason or what do you, or, where. Where are you putting Chris? Because he's not great defensively, and he's been worse this year. But he's still, like, he can still be a pretty good you know, defender at times. So I'm wondering kind of what they do there. Because DiVincenzo is so much smaller than Robinson, right? If you throw him, he's probably – even if he stays attached, Robinson kind of just shoot over the top because he's comfortable with guys in his his airspace. And right.
0: Well, you're going to have to put one of, of Holiday and DiVincenzo on Robinson because I don't think you can make Middleton do that. I actually wouldn't be surprised if they just stay pretty traditional, put Middleton on Butler – And maybe, I mean, the one thing you might see that would be interesting and particularly would show uh, some evolution from Bud is what if you put Giannis on Bam Adebayo and you put Brook Lopez on Ariza? You know, that would be an interesting sort of thing to see, Uh, because remember, one of the criticisms of the Bucks last year in that series is that they would just switch Giannis off he wouldn't be guarding Butler or Bam. He'd just be chilling on the weak side. Well, Jimmy Butler would just break down uh, whoever was on him, and this defensive player of the year was basically out of the play all the time. I wonder if they're going to kind of make sure he's in the play more often this year.
3: Yeah, I, I would say, honestly, when we're talking about the Bucks in the playoffs, I feel more confident about their offense than their defense this year, um, which seems hmm. weird to say. But because they've gone to more switching, I don't think the switching has been quite as crisp as you'd like at this point in the year. And they still do have a lot of kind of undersized defenders in the rotation. Not a ton, but I mean, if they're going like to... You mentioned Bryn Forbes' two-man game earlier. If they're going to play Bryn Forbes, you know, 12, 14 minutes a night, you've got to be pretty, I think, concentrated with what, how, who he's matching up with when he's on the floor defensively. Um, Connaughton's been solid this year, but he's still a guy that you don't want guarding right. more than kind of like the three position. Um, but I like the idea of Bam on... Um, um, or sorry, Giannis on ban because then when they run the triples handoffs, you know Giannis can play pretty pretty high up. And he's, I mean, if you get if you get yeah, Duncan versus Giannis, you know, and because he's able to turn the three off the handoff, I think you feel pretty good about that for Milwaukee. So um, that's probably where I go to Because I like, I mean, if, if Trevor is beats beat you, like. If, I mean, you just you just glue Brook to him when you force a reason to try and take Brook Lopez off the dribble, and that's a win for, for mm-hmm. the Bucks if that's something Miami is doing more than you know once or twice a game. So that's where right. I, I like I like the idea of putting Giannis on Bam because I think obviously Bam can do some stuff as a scorer, but he's so much of a kind of a, a facilitator and a trigger man for a lot of the actions Miami runs, and that's that for Giannis is at its best right? where he's just kind of like lunging into different responsibilities with his length and his his awareness to kind of use, use those things to, to really – you know, force, force problems for the offense. Right.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm guessing that this will be a big PJ Tucker series if uh, he's okay. right. And then that would sort of make that matchup switch even more palatable. You know, I'm guessing bands going to try to score a little more than they did they last year, lie. but that's Miami, and Milwaukee. We've talked a lot about that. Um, do Actually, you want to talk I at mean, all about Philly? But, uh...
3: I appreciate you. I'm going to hop off for now. Sorry. Yeah. I was so, going to uh, ask you about Philly, but yeah, uh, no, I, 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 I got a few more minutes. I can talk a little bit. Wait, are you worried about,
0: are you worried a little bit about this close to the season? They look pretty rough in their game against Miami.
3: Yeah. I, I would say, I don't know about worried, but it's something that I, you know, I will definitely be monitoring them. Um, I know a lot of, you know, fans saying we won, we won all these games to close down the stretch, but um, I mean, Danny Green came out and said, after, I think they beat the Pistons a couple of weeks ago and, you know, someone was like, You've won seven in a row. Like, how do you, how do you feel about our team playing? And he was like, Not well. I mean, that, <laughs> no. That's Danny Green, right? Like, I mean, he just, he's, he's been there, done that. So, um, and I think that's a totally fair assessment. I mean, they they squeaked out a win against the G League Spurs a few weeks ago. They barely beat the the, the Bulls without uh, Vucevic and Levine, and they had to bring their starters back in. Um, they've had a couple of blowout wins. Um, but again, it's it's against teams that are have half their, like, roster healthy from the start of the season or whatever. So, um, I don't know, I mean the, the Sixers have such a weird year where they've had stretches where they look really, really good and I, I, I believe in them as a, a legit threat. And then there are times where they just kind of the offense looks bad and the defense looks good but not great. So um I definitely will be monitoring this first round series, especially if it's against a team like the Wizards who you know, have kind of really found their groove. I know you mentioned mm. that Beale is you know, compromised, which is unfortunate, but a team that's clearly playing pretty well despite Beale's um, you know, absence or at least just playing with a lot of vigor and, you know, co- yeah. cohesion. Um so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and be like, oh, I think the Wizards are, you know, a, a prime upset pick. But I think they're a team that, if the Sixers aren't, aren't kind of if they don't use these four or five days of practice to really kind of get in rhythm and kind of get to where they were, baby, you know, right after the All Star break when they were bludgeoning teams, even though Embiid and Simmons were kind of in and out of the lineup, um, they they're gonna struggle to an extent in that first round,
0: um, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. But I mean, they they got two. I mean, I think more or less they have still. You don't you don't really want to mess around, but they do have two rounds most likely where they can kind of they have more margin for error, right? Um, then a team like even the Bucks, the Nets hey. are gonna most likely meet in the second round.
0: Serious disrespect to the New York Knickerbockers, <laughs> um, but yeah, you're probably right. They, they, I think they dodged a lot of bullets getting away from Miami. Yeah,
3: yeah, I, 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 I would have. I, I mean, there were definitely some things I took away from that game last week where I was like, yeah, I, I knew, can't, knew coming in that, that might pose some issues. Um, but I didn't want to go overboard because when I watch a game and Jimmy Butler isn't defended at all by Ben Simmons, I'm kind of like, okay, they're clearly not right. prioritized. In this game, at the same time, you look at how the, the Heat defended, you know, Joel Embiid, um, they gave him some big issues. And then Embiid was coming off a of sickness and things. But it was less about that and just the way they were able to really kind of right. – even just the, the initial touch was was uncomfortable for him and, and whatnot. So right. uh, I, yeah. I, I agree there, but – I, I think that the Sixers should certainly be ready for the Knicks to beat the Hawks because I, I mean I I don't think the Hawks are like some great team to to, to dethrone the Sixers or whatever, but I guess not dethrone, the Sixers haven't accomplished anything really beyond the one seed. <laughs> um, but to take them down I guess or upset them in the sense uh, that like yeah I think that's just a tougher matchup. I got like Trey Young is kind of the the Almost the prototypical guy that can give Ben Simmons some, some, some issues because he's so quick and shifty and he can shoot from deep. Um, it's kind of one of the guys that can can give right. Ben some issues there. Um, so I think in the – I mean, a defensive-minded team that has some struggles in the half-court offense is kind of both the M.O. of the Knicks and the Sixers. The Sixers just do it better um, with a big man who – Probably. Who, who hits just ridiculous shots or whatever. So um, – yeah, I, 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 that's kind of how I feel about the Sixers at the, at the moment. So,
0: Gotcha. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah, for this sure is very can. interesting. I, it looks like we got another Sixers question that I can kind of talk about. Uh, Billy talking about, um, is their offense good enough, especially with Seth Curry on the floor? Or not? Or if Seth Curry's not on the floor because he may get targeted on defense. You know, it, it's a fear of mine that... I mean, we talked about with Miami. I I don't know. One of the things that I've sort of worried about with the Sixers all year and worried a little bit and why I've been a little lower on Joel Meade's MVP candidacy is that I think one of the the biggest way he's changed, I think, is conditioning-wise and poise. But one of the things that the Sixers have done is that they have really simplified a lot of their offense to make it so that he can catch the ball in certain spots that are are workable for him. These turn-and-face options in the middle of the floor – and in the regular season, those touches are easier to get. Like, teams will not be as aggressive to force you off your spots. You saw a taste of that in the Miami game where I don't think teams are going to be doing it as aggressively as the Heat do, and the Heat are kind of tailor-made for it. But, like, nobody's going to let Joel B just cast the ball in his sweet spot in the playoffs. Like, whether it's in the low post, whether it's out by the free throw line, whether it's uh, in the kind of mid-post area, uh free throw line extended, the elbow, all any of that stuff. They're not just going to let him catch the ball and turn and survey. Like they're going to flood bodies to him. And if that happens, I think the Sixers have a very nice orderly way of going about kicking out of doubles when it's a predictable sort of double team. But the second it starts to get a little weird, with or without Curry in the game, and I I think they have to have Curry in the game a lot because of the shooting. Like I I don't think that the worry about being being targeted on defense should hold him off the floor. Like, I think he's, you know, not a great defender, but I think he's, he's going to have to be able to hold his own. He can hedge out uh, if he doesn't want to switch um, and they can get back to him. They need his shooting on the floor because once the doubles start to become unpredictable, you know, then Sim- Ben Simmons lack of shooting range and, you know where he's standing starts to become an issue, um, and I, I agree that they kind of caught a break with how the brackets sh- shook out. But I mean, even the Knicks, like if they play the Knicks, like defensively, they're just not going to—they're not going to let Joel Embiid just mow over them. And I think that's going to be a challenge for them now. If they can get past those two teams, and Brooklyn is the team that awaits, like then I think Joel's ability to tempo control might be really interesting, um, and might be something that. Could really help them, but you know, I I do worry a little bit about their offense. To answer that question, um, I uh, if nobody else has got any other questions, I I I like to we have we've talked a lot about the East, and we've talked a little bit about the playing game. Um, we haven't talked a lot about Knicks Hawks. No, no. What do you? We haven't talked a lot about that series. The only thing I'll say about that series for now, before we go to the West, is I think that this is the best possible matchup for New York. I think the Knicks really lucked out with this. I think if Atlanta played Miami, I would give Atlanta the edge. If Atlanta, if the Knicks played Miami, I would give Miami the edge. And if the Knicks played Milwaukee, I would very clearly give Milwaukee the edge. But I think this is a matchup that the Knicks can win. I think their defense is physical, will make Trey Young really struggle. I think there is less of a like kind of, oh no, who's... The defense, who's going to guard Randall? Like I think there's less of a threat there, especially if DeAndre Hunter isn't 100. percent I think there is this will this will be the softest kind of defensive matchup series for them. I think the Knicks have a lot of physical defenders to take out guys like Bogdanovich and Gallinari and all that. Uh I like. I think their bench matches up decently well. Atlanta's got a really strong bench, so the Knicks. I like that. I think Reggie Bullock can take out Bogdanovich. And I I think that they didn't do it as much in the regular season, but I would expect the Knicks to pretty successfully target Trey Young with Randall and small ball screens. That's a place that they can attack. And if you look at some of the other teams that they would have had to play, their, their offensive woes I think really would have hurt them uh, against some of these other stronger defenses. But – Against Atlanta. Not that Atlanta has a weak defense. In fact, they have a pretty strong defense when Capella is in the game, but there's a clear targeting spot there. And I think that for a team like the Knicks, that will help give them enough breathing room to buttress their defense. They've won all three against Atlanta this season. Randall's had big games against them. I I think it is a tough there will be a close series. I think the Knicks have the edge. That's just the way I, I see it. Uh, but the Hawks are a team I haven't really been able to figure out all year, so take that for what you will. Um, I do want to talk about the West and the play-in, though, because – and then, by the way, anyone uh, who's in here who wants to kind of chat, uh, kind of talk, give a speaker request, uh, I'd love to hear it. If you have any questions, have any thoughts you want to share on the West, because frankly, you can tell me almost anything happens in the West playoffs, and I would believe you, because – I am I'm really stumped trying to figure out what's going to happen in a way that like gets me excited. You know, obviously it starts with the, the Lakers Warriors playing game, and man, I feel bad for the Utah Jazz. Man, I feel really bad. I feel bad for the Suns too, but I feel worse for the Jazz because chances are their reward for the number one seed will be either the Lakers, who are obviously really scary if healthy. Or a team in Golden State that I think if you picked any team in the West, like that is a brutal, brutal matchup for Utah in the way they play. Am I like? And I I know that there's a thought that like anyone who has a guard you can shoot is a brutal matchup for Utah because Gobert doesn't want to come out. It's not even that to me. Like I think I think Gobert will come out more in the playoffs this year than he would have in the past. And I I don't think that that's as much of a liability as people think. Obviously it's not a strength of his, but I think against most teams, I don't think that's why the jazz lose, but coming out against a guard that can shoot or a guard that operates in the mid range is one thing coming out against Steph Curry and all the stuff that the warriors run. That's an entirely different thing. And the warriors Curry runs around so much. The jazz don't have a lot of good individual defenders and they're going to need to pass him off. Like one guy can't take that dude out. And then when you combine that with, you know, all the screening step up screening action that the Warriors run for Curry now, and that they finally decided to run now, now that, you know, halfway through the season, like that's, that's asking a lot of Rudy Gobert to step out there. And I just don't know if the jazz other defenders are physical enough to handle that, that that's going to be really tough. And then Slice, they go to the other end. And this is, I think, the underrated reason why Golden State is a really tough matchup for Utah and why I'm not saying that they should want the Lakers, but like, I don't think either of these are good for Utah. The Warriors play a switching heavy style defense. They, since James Wiseman has got injured, they are playing a lot of these. Kind of wide body, big types. You know your Loonies, your Draymonds, uh, you know guys like that. A lot of these sort of smaller, quote unquote, smaller lineups. Those guys, they are a switch heavy team, and they are kind of, kind of. Jazz will just switch Steph off ball. If Gobert steps up, can the Jazz tag the roller well enough? I see. I I don't think that's as easier said said than done. Like I think that's going to be really hard. You know. It's one thing to step up against a Damian Lillard or a Chris Paul or someone who you know he's always running a ball screen at a certain angle. Steph is just coming from everywhere. So you, you're you going to have to chase him off the ball. He won't stop. Uh, I just think that that's, that's a whole different challenge for not just Gobert and the tagging of the rollers. Plus, they will they'll come back. I mean, Golden State runs their offense outside in in a way that I don't think a lot of teams do. And Utah's defense is built around teams trying to beat them inside out, not inside out from like a post standpoint, but inside out from like a, we're attacking driving with an eye with the high pick and roller and ISO. We want to get our guy downhill and then we want to spray out. The warriors are like the complete opposite of that. Um, so I, I just don't think it's this, I don't think it's that simple. Like I don't, I think that's going to be a huge challenge for them. Uh, It's not an insurmountable challenge, but I think it's very different. The Steph Curry stepping up on screen act stuff is so different from like any other guard that I think it's a real challenge. Um, But back to the other end, I mean, you, you think about how Utah uses Gobert's rolling ability to kind of trigger their ball movement. A lot of teams can. I think everybody will say, "Well, you can just switch all that and take it away." I think in practice, a lot of teams can't do that because Gobert is too physical in the offensive glass. The Jazz have too many guys that they can run Gobert through, where the switch on Gobert will be not super palatable. The Jazz, the, the Warriors outside of Steph, though, and you know if Jordan Poole plays a lot, I, I guess it's him too. Their bigs can kind of jab. Go bear down low, and they gang rebound in a way that I think it will slow a lot of the Utah action in a, the pick and roll action. And if that's the case, now you're asking. I think Mitchell, who has been hurt a lot of the second half, he's going to have to go uh, beat a lot of these switches, uh, and that will stagnate. And again, they've got a lot of guys that can guard one on one. And then if Utah is staggering on offense and taking out, playing a lot of one on one and they're not doing a lot of their kind of freewheeling movement, that gets Gobert downhill. They're gonna be they're gonna take bad shots. That's gonna lead to transition. That's gonna lead to Steph kind of running all through the backcourt, and that's gonna be a real challenge for them. I'm not saying. I mean, I'm really thinking hard. Someone talk, talk me out of it. If that's a series, like I'm really thinking hard about picking the Warriors to win that series because of the matchup. I really am, and I, I have a lot of respect for what Utah has done this year. I just that seems like a matchup that is absolutely brutal for them, the Warriors. On the by contrast, if they get Memphis, I think that's a sweep because Memphis plays so much in the paint, and Utah takes that away. But Golden State, I, there's something about their style. Like there is a, to me, I am seeing some interesting parallels between this series, if it happens. And the, we believe warriors against the Mavs in that, that we believe team was set up specifically to beat a team like Dallas and a star like Dirk. And if there was any other matchup, Dallas was great against every other team. What is the season series against uh, Utah Golden State? I believe they, I know that Golden State won more recently. I think they won again in Utah earlier in the season. Um, how about the non-step offense? Well, that's the thing. There is what, what non-step offense? Like there is there is a there is no non-step offense. He is everything that offense. Uh, I guess if you're talking about like the bench units, like this is where um, Utah's lineup manipulation will be interesting because some of the success that they've had. The, it's not about the shots he doesn't take. It's you know it, it all runs through him. Like the shots other people take are going to be wide open shots. If you or whatever, like, I mean, I don't. I, the entry point is always Steph, and that's an entry point that I think is really tough. For uh, are we waiting for Jordan Poole versus Jordan Clarkson Spider Man meme bench minutes? Billy says, I, I think Jordan Poole's emergence is kind of an interesting, underrated story in Golden Golden Season, is of the way their bench unit is rough without Steph and Draymond, but if pool is pool is kind of like able to play like a sort of light, light, light version of Steph with the way he moves and the shots he takes, it props it up just a little bit. And then they've been closing a lot more with pool with Steph and Draymond. And, you know, it's going to be interesting defensively to see how Utah targets that because they're, are weaknesses, but that combination has really, I think made Steph a lot better to have another guy who can shoot the ball and another guy who can shoot off movement. Um, So if Utah manipulates their lineups to get Gobert in with the second unit, um, Jordan Poole now becomes a really important player because he's going to need to stretch Gobert out enough in ways, um, you know. So that's just kind of where I'm I'm thinking about this. Like, I I just think that's a – I'm looking at the results right now. Let's see. Uh yeah they 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 lost to Utah by a lot in Utah in January but they beat Utah in Utah in March and I believe all the everyone played in that game uh yeah everyone was healthy for Utah in that game and we know that you know they just most recently won with Mitchell and Conley kind of injured um and I mean how how healthy are those guys I mean um and yes why Wiseman why is Wiseman being out? Uh, oh, since Wiseman has gone out, like the Warriors have been a way better team and a way better team for Steph. So like, I'm not... Like, the Warriors are, I think, a different team entering this. Now, on the other hand, if the Warriors play Phoenix, like I think Phoenix wins that series because Phoenix has the physicality and the bodies to chase Steph and wear him down in a way. And Utah has a great team in team defense, but there are... A lot. I think Steph has a lot. There are a lot of weak points to attack. Billy, while we're on Utah, how the hell should we be factoring crowd discrepancy into forecasting the playoffs? Anything that changes in debt perception or just traditional issues added with twenty thousand people? What is the latest exactly? Maybe you guys can fill me in, like on who is actually going to have full crowds and who isn't. Maybe you guys can fill me in on this someone can jump on and tell me, but I mean, Utah is, is that suggesting that, um, I guess with the, sh- the way the shooting has been this year, I think there's a little more data to the point that it's editor to shoot in an empty gym. That's, that's something that a lot of players have said, uh, was true in the bubble was true probably this year. And so maybe, I mean, I think shooting percentages will go down just cause it's the playoffs and that's tends to happen. Um, one has to wonder a little bit if like Utah's home court advantage is slightly neutralized because now other teams have fans. I don't think that's going to make or break their postseason. I think, again, matchup wise, it's really the challenge. Like I, I think Utah is a better team than Phoenix. I think Utah's a better team. I'm not sure. I, I think Utah are a better team than healthy Lakers, but outside of them, like, I, I maybe, know you're on here. Maybe you can help me explain, understand the Clippers because I still have no feel for how good they are. But I like Utah as a team a lot. I think they're really good. I just, that matchup with Golden State, it's like they do everything that Golden State does well is what Utah doesn't do well, you know, on both ends. There's just so many ways that, like, I mean, you would never say that the Mavericks were a worse team in 2007 than the We Believe Warriors, but it was just... The nature of that matchup and was just brutal for them, you know. With Golden State's ability to play Dirk physically, despite being small, I was watching that series a lot recently, uh, and Baron Davis and his shooting, and just all of all of that, and some of the matchup concerns where you know Dallas made its entire season on its physicality. Uh, crowd aggregates. Uh, I'm gonna have to open this link, but. Yeah, when they and they lose on a a huge part of their identity. There's a lot of elements of that, I think. So if we get that series, like I'm I've got half a mind to pick Golden State to win it. Um I can't open this link right now, but I believe you. Uh Noah, you want to talk about the Clippers and also tell me why I'm like totally wrong about Golden State being a super scary matchup for the Utah Jazz. What's up, buddy?
4: Uh well it's not like you're like super wrong about that it's just I don't know if I mean obviously Steph creates open shots but like
0: you're you're muted you just muted yourself
4: um oh, oh, oh yeah sorry I just had to get a glass of water um yeah but I mean you're like, so
0: mad at me you're so you think I'm so wrong n- no I I don't even th- even think you're
4: that wrong I mean y- you've you you talked me into that I just I don't know if, I mean, the Warriors are going to make enough shots outside of step. I mean, I, I know they're going to get s- some good ones, but like, I mean, uh, how much, how, how big is his load going to be?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if, uh, Draymond green hits two for 15 from three or two for eight from three and Wiggins misses a lot of threes and, is Kelly Oubre coming back? I believe he's coming back. And if he bricks a bunch of threes, yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it will require some, some decent shooting. Um, that is a concern. Um, the shots will definitely be there is all I'm saying. And I feel like in a weird way, Utah ha- will have a harder time getting the ball out of Steph's hands than like a Phoenix would. Like if you're, if your game plan is like literally like, Five guys on staff will let anyone else shoot. I think Phoenix is more equipped to do that. I know that they just played and Phoenix just lost that game, but I I think Phoenix is more equipped to do that with the mobility of their defenders on the perimeter. Utah, yeah, they have I, no one to put on staff. They have so they have like I would guess like who is going to guard Steph? I I wonder if it's like is it going to be Royce O'Neal? That would be my my top choice. Are they going to have Conley do it? I mean, um, it's
4: probably Royce and Neil. I don't know if, I mean, Mike Conley is what, he's pretty old. They probably don't want him uh, running around, not not him or Mitchell, because they're going to be carrying big, big loads on the other end. So it's probably down to Royce. But even then, he's not really like a, a physical guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he is. The problem is that this is a dilemma with Steph, right? You can, with most stars, you can say like, yeah, let me put, my best guy on them, my most physical guy, I'm going to try to take him out of the game as much as I can. I'm going to sort of limit. You're basically like kind of the old Shane Battier defense on Kobe. Like I can't stop him, but I can like maybe make him less efficient. Right? Because you know kind of where he's getting the ball. With Steph, like if you try to, if you focus too much on Steph, like he just, he just like takes away. If you face guard Steph, like now he's suddenly like the most, the best spacer in the world. You know, there's so much, there's almost like a danger to like focusing too much on Steph because it compromises everything else you do. And it makes you so panicked that, I mean, everyone else is playing four on four or four on three. So walking that balance is like such a huge challenge. And it it was interesting to see in the Memphis game over the weekend, Steph got most of his points when Dylan Brooks was not guarding him. And when Dylan Brooks had that sixth foul, that really hurt Memphis and kind of probably cost them the game. And that's where Steph got his shots. But also Dylan Brooks, like kind of put so much focus on guarding Steph that some of the other guys had really good games. So on the stat sheet, it says, oh, Dylan Brooks, like Steph went one of seven against Dylan Brooks or whatever he went. But is what is the the actual purpose of that if you – The the goal of the game is to stop the Warriors, not to stop Steph Curry. And the way he plays, he makes it so that it's like you you think they're the same thing, but they're not.
4: If you're the Jazz, are you going to – I mean, obviously, you know, Steph is going to be working usually with the screen. Would you uh, uh, consider just um, going and putting Gobert on someone in in the corner and uh, like keeping him out of the initial action, having him clean up the 4v3s? and then get two uh, p- p- perimeter players to kind of, you know, make sure Steph doesn't, like, totally kill them running around off-ball?
0: I think the answer is probably yes, but, like, I, I I would guess that that's also how Snyder sees it based on, like, his past history with how he uses Gobert. So you're basically saying, don't have him guard Draymond Green. Y-
4: yeah, I mean, the only, like, Draymond and... Kevon Looney and Looney's unfortunately lost some of his effectiveness due to injury are really their only bigs, I think.
0: Right. right. I mean, so, it- are you suggesting like maybe having him guard Wiggins? Are you suggesting having him guard uh, uh, Looney? Are you suggesting guard Kelly Oubre? Because... If it's, if it's, like, if he put him on Looney, I mean, there are two problems with that from Golden State's, pers- from Utah's perspective. Although I think there is logic to it. One is, who is then guarding Draymond? You're now, there's not a great option there unless, I who mean. Needs to
4: guard Draymond? Unless he's within, like, the paint.
0: Well, remember, though, it's not just who's guarding Draymond. What you're really asking is who's, like, hedging out, switching onto Steph. Like, that's yeah. kind of the, the what you're really asking. And, like, do you, you don't want, Bo, and like, you don't want Boyan Bogdanovich doing that. That's, he's, he's food. I, I wonder if George Niang has a big role in this series. Like, I feel like he could be a useful player to do that with. But that's one problem you run into. It's not like you have, like, it, again, to use the Phoenix example, if you're Phoenix and you say, well, I don't want DeAndre Ayton to be guarding Steph, you have a lot of guys you could put on Draymond. The Jay Crowder, Tory Craig. I mean, they have like just a whole team of wide bodies, where you can now hide Aiton effectively and still have like a pretty good switcher, rotator, outer onto those Steph pick and roll, Steph two man actions with Draymond. That's what the Jazz. I'm not sure what their answer is there. So yeah,
4: the Jazz seem to be like a, a defender or so short.
0: Yeah, and and again, like I think if they were playing a team that had like one guy or two guys who like kind of play in a more traditional ball dominant role. I think that they're built really well for that. I'm just not sure about the Warriors. Um, But we spent a lot of time on that series. I know I wanted to talk to you about the Clippers because man, I can't figure this team out. I keep every time I keep thinking that they're the serious real favorite, something happens where I'm just not so sure. And I have, I leave myself wondering, and I know you, you go very deep in the details on this, but to kind of stick a step back, what really is different about this team versus last year? Is there enough to make you, be- to, to make you believe that they're the favorites in the West?
4: Oh, well, I mean, obviously I've been spent the, the, the whole year uh, telling myself every day that this team is nothing like uh, last year's team. But I mean, well, obviously, you know, you have the, the change at, uh, center, harold has gone, uh, Ibaka's in. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if you remember that clip about uh, Paul George complaining about his usage. They've uh, acquired Paul George have, have been on the ball a, yes. a lot. Like, I think they have, like, the two out of the three highest uh, um, points per play for pick and rolls. Guys are shooting, like, 40-something percent off their passes. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know the, the the shooting this year has been elite. Batum has helped a bit with uh, the, the ball movement and that type of stuff, and obviously lose a big upgrade over Doc. I, I mean, I guess like the team this year, a couple pieces fit fit better, and the scheme just makes a, a lot more sense. It's pretty simple, you know, just a push like. Encourage a ton of uh, downhill stuff and drive and kick and just uh, ge- generate a bunch of threes. Mm-hmm. I mean, because yeah, last year I don't know if you remember in the playoffs, the Clippers have some horrible stretches where they their offense just gets so incredibly stagnant, and it's you know a, a pick and roll like you just kind of keep dribbling and then you, you know shoot like a pull up mid range shot with five seconds left on the shot clock. So less stagnant stretch or fewer stagnant stretches, even though they still rear their head every now and again.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Yes. I think they're a much better offensive team uh, for sure. And I think you made a good point about Paul George's usage in particular. You know, he's on the ball a lot more. Um, I wouldn't say he's their real point guard, but he's probably the closest thing they have to like kind of the person who operates in that way. His his Uh,
4: passing has improved, too. He makes a couple more reads. The the skip pass is uh, very consistent now, which I think is a bit of an overrated pass for most teams. But when you're passing to, like, 45% corner three-point shooters, consistently making skips is huge.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that their offense is better. They had, like, way too many cooks in the kitchen last year in terms of too many guys who needed the ball in their hands to score and not enough guys who could play really well off them. They've, I think mostly solved a lot of elements of that problem. No more Lou Williams. Rayjean Rondo has been great. Uh, Nick Batum has come in and sort of given them a little bit more of that kind of touch and go pass and cut type of stuff that he does Uh, some more off ball play. Uh, I think that that's been pretty good. I think Lou tight. They, they seem to be calling more plays in general like ty ty's structure is he calls a lot of plays in the bench their spacing is really good uh it's really multi-layered like there's no question I agree fundamentally that like everything they could have possibly done to improve their offense and the way the whole function more as to sum of the parts they have done like that that isn't there's no question about that. The two problems, the two challenges I see are one: did they sacrifice too much defense to do that? Uh, and two: fundamentally, are you always going to have an issue with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? Their similarity in their games always going to lead to some sort of overlap that you know we only didn't see as much this year because they rare they played so little together. They had a lot of one guy playing and the other guy not. The first, the second one seems like a first world problem, but like I worry about that first one. Like defensively, I'm just—I think they're a lot weaker than they were last year.
4: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's obviously Pat Bab has missed a ton of time this year, so I haven't really been able to see him. But I mean, I'm not sure where I, I heard this brought brought up like a day or two ago. But I was thinking somewhere along the same lines, which is that I mean, they just don't really have a lot of. Like I, I've mentioned that the team is old and that's kind of an issue. But they really don't have a lot of guys who uh, who, who move well. Like even, obviously, you know, Quine, Paul, George are fantastic. They're, they're, well, they're not as good as they were, as, right. as they once were, but they're both great defenders. But I mean, they're like a 30 or, or 31. Like, you know, they, when they help, it's not a lightning quick r- rotation. I mean, uh, Marcus Morris as well. He's not a speedy guy. Nor is Nicholas Batum. It's like there's I, I guess when they when they rotate on, on defense, the, the margins margin for error is a lot smaller just because, you know,
0: right. Sl- sl- slower.
4: I mean, the only like like, for example, if they had to play Steph, I mean, you put we have Pat Bev or Terrence Mann. But otherwise, I mean, it, it wouldn't be great.
0: Right. they're They're not into you. Like they, they, like you hoped that they would be. You know, when, when they first came together, it was like, oh my God, look at all these like, uh, defenders. Like nobody's going to be able to go anywhere on them. And with the exception of George and Leonard occasionally, you know, and Pat is like not the same player he was. Maybe like his return and he'll be healthy and he'll give you some of this, but they're just not, it's not that hard to run your stuff against them. Like you're, they're not really into you in that way. They don't, feel very disruptive. Uh, there's a lot of kind of hang back. And I, I mean, th- it'll be interesting. I, I almost feel like Steph on some level, they can like kind of juice themselves up for because they could, help, they, they, I trust their ability to kind of p- navigate the sort of dilemma of sell out to Steph versus play the off ball stuff better than more than I trust Utah's. Like when the game gets chaotic, I think they actually are better. Um, even though Utah's a better defensive team overall. I actually think that Utah, I know that Jazz fans don't really want that matchup. Uh, and I know the Clippers basically did everything possible to get it.
4: What, uh, Clippers-Jazz?
0: <laughs> In a second round and just avoid avoid the Lakers. I guess they wanted Dallas too. That's a matchup that I feel relatively good about if I'm the Clippers as well. Although I probably, absent you know Portland, the trash-talking, I would have been fine with that one too.
4: Yeah, I, I think it was more about the, the Lakers than than the Jazz. But, I mean, obviously, I like the Clippers against the Jazz. I mean, on, on defense, outside of – I mean, the, the teams, Clippers and Jazz, are outside of, you know, uh, Gobert kind of um, anchoring all the Jazz's defense. They're similar-ish teams. But, like, if you just injected, like, the Jazz one through four with a bunch of steroids, that's, like, the Clippers.
0: Hmm. Well, so – I i I think it that may happen. Like I think that's a pretty Eden series. Like I could see that series going either way. Um I think that they have a lo- there are a lot of advantages. Certainly if the Clippers are on point with their switching, that may take away a lot of what Utah does. And there are some players, you know, if if George is having a good shooting series that will stretch Gobert out. But the Clippers don't really have that like kind of little guy that can kind of just dart around you and, and stretch you out. Right? Yeah. Offensively they're a much more rigid they they play much more in the half court i think it's interesting that the clippers have such a strong half court offense i feel like that normally would bode very well for them um
4: but they're cleaning the glass
0: yeah i don't remember if they finished number one or number two in half court offense um but they were near the top i remember noting it a a while back but if i'm if i'm utah like I know that, like, they put Gobert on Beverly in that one matchup in L.A., and, like, I remember looking at that, I was like, that's totally the wrong idea. You know, I've said before, like, they should put Gobert on Kawhi. You know, they we'll see if involve they actually...
4: Him do. In the primary action, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, because I think if if you don't put Gobert, if you do, if you're willing to do that, then I think like, the Jazz are kind of built to beat a your-turn, mine-turn style of offense. Like, you have to kind of really move that team around in order to take advantage of their weak points. I don't know if the Clippers will they devolve into the sort of offense that the Jazz can defend. And then on the other end, I mean, I guess it depends on how healthy Beverly is. But and maybe George can just could kind of put Mitchell in a straight in a straight jacket. But he, I mean, Mitchell had a big series against the Thunder against George a couple of years ago. Like, I, if I'm Donovan Mitchell, like that is not a series. I fear from an offensive standpoint, like I think I can make bank in that series, especially if Ibaka is not totally right. And you've seen a lot of Zubach in the drop. Like I, I think Utah can score in that series, even though in theory, the Clippers can switch everything. I'm just not sure they can do it physically enough to really neuter everything the jazz do. Like that will be, that's a question for me. It may happen. It may not. So I think that's, a. That, sorry, go ahead. You know, you know, you can finish. I was just gonna say that I think I think that series is not like I think the I think that series is a coin flip. Like I would say, like Mo, I can't predict the West. The West is gonna be impossible if the Lakers win the play in over the Warriors, which I think they probably will. And we get Suns, Lakers, and Jazz, Warriors. I'm leaning towards Lakers, Clippers as your conference finals. But I weirdly have a little more confidence in the Lakers getting there than the Clippers.
4: I mean, the Lakers, well, the second-round matchup is going to be pretty easy. Not easy, because it's the West, but relatively easy. Back to the Clippers' half-court offense stuff, that's why I was kind of upset when, you know, Luke Kennard kind of uh, fell out of the rotation. Because if the Clippers were going to, if there was anyone on the roster who was going to become an like, you know, off-ball mover on the perimeter, give them some off-ball shooting to kind of move defenses like that, I thought uh, Kennard was a guy who would have been able to do that. But, you know, we kind of just stashed, stashed him on the bench and didn't get any reps that way. So I don't think they re- they have that like off ball threat to just activate once the playoffs come in. So I mean, yeah, they like they've they've uh, found their I- identity and they're gonna they're, they're gonna run with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kennard would have been just total, uh, you know, barbecue chicken on defense. So I, I understand why he may be not playing. But the other guy who's not playing a whole lot now is Terrence Mann. And yeah, um, that's another guy who maybe offers you something different. I wonder if he gets back in the rotation. Um, it's tough to take. I mean, Rondo has been terrific. And so, and Rondo will should presumably be better in the playoffs. And now that you have Beverly back, and if you're committed to continuing to play Jackson. I um, think so.
4: I hope, I mean, I don't, if the Clippers are like all uh, 100% healthy, I don't know if Reggie, Reggie Jackson probably has a decent amount of DNPs
0: in the playoffs. It is starting recently though. So I don't know. I mean, he probably, I mean, if it were me, I would, I would start Rondo for the big high leverage moments. Um, Or maybe, I mean, maybe I would just start Beverly anyway. Um, But I mean, let me put it this way. I think Rondo would play the most point guard minutes if it were me in a big game, whether he started him or not. But I mean, I don't know if Jackson's leaving that rotation. So, you know, the to get it, to sum it all up, like, part of the challenge is that there's this image of Kawhi as the guy who just sort of turns it on in the playoffs. He's kind of managing himself until the postseason, And this is a guy that has always been better in the playoffs outside of last year, really than he was in the regular season. And if he's that guy, even, I mean, like e- even a defense like Utah, which I think is kind of built to stop a player like Kawhi, um, she can beat that. And then that makes you really scary. Is Kawhi capable of that anymore? And is even the other the other thing that's like sort of challenging to me is like, is it are the Clippers at their best when Kawhi Leonard is like they by far the leading usage guy on their team? Or are they best when there's like more of a even Paul George Kawhi partnership? Like, I think it's probably more the second one. And when push comes to shove, like, is that going to happen in a high leverage moment? I don't know. Um,
4: Yeah, I think I was it was kind of leaning towards the the second option over this this season.
0: It was during the season. I just wonder if that holds because it, it was during the season in large part, I think, because they were kind of split away from each other a lot. Like, I don't think they had a ton of reps together. So in a high leverage moment, game six, seven, whatever, fourth quarter, you need stuff. Is Kawhi just going to kind of just take the reins and reduce everybody else? Um, yeah, Joel says, the Jazz were the best three-point percentage defense in the season. The Clippers are the best three-point shooting team. I think it should be a fun matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think it going to be a great series. So um, let me put it this way. Like, I think the, Clipper, this, the, the Clippers should feel good about their chances to win the West, and if they don't, it sort of almost underscores that this team wasn't different enough than last year. You know, we keep saying to ourselves, like, when is this team going to finally look like the most dominant team in the conference? And it kind of hasn't ever really happened. Yeah, they just – they don't really beat down
4: on teams like that. I I think in terms of uh, Kawhi just, you know, uh, totally is like going one-on-one at the end of games. I think something new – what I hope, hopefully, what they have new this year is that with uh, Ibaka at the five, you know, you have five out space and you should hopefully be able to hunt for whichever m- matchup you want.
0: Right. That's a good point.
4: So it's not just going to be total like iso ball like it was at the end of, of last year. I, I I think the the guard rotation is honestly the biggest the biggest thing, because I mean, center minister will probably split them between uh, Serge and Zubac. You have your forwards, wings, and then I mean, you have really like four point guards or four guards who could all get time.
0: Who Who would yeah. you like to see closing games for them?
4: I, I think Rondo is probably the closer.
0: Who Who are the other four guys in the game?
4: Um. Kawhi Paul George. Ibaka, I'd say. And then, yeah, you have to choose between Marcus Morris or Batum. Right. I think I I think I maybe go Batum. I don't know. I've, I've seen way too many uh, Marcus Morris, like mid-post touches this year, ISOs. I, I don't really know what that's about.
0: Right. I I'm guessing they go Morris. I mean, if that's your closing lineup, I mean— like R- Rondo may be a really big addition after all, because, you know, to your point about the five out, like you can put Rondo in Terrence man. I mean, once you got Rondo, some of the stuff that Rondo does kind of is also the stuff Terrence Mann does. So I understand why Terrence Mann has fallen out of the rotation a little bit, you know, but if you're, you're coming at the end of the game and like Kawhi is using Rondo as a screener to pick his preferred matchup, like that is going to be tough to stop. So I don't know. Uh, I still think ultimately Lakers Clippers is my like best guess for the conference finals. I I, I do. I would, I've said all year that nothing that these teams have done has really convinced me that like a fully healthy Lakers will just route them, kind of crush everyone. I just don't know if that team exists. That's the real challenge. And now they're playing in a play. in, so I don't know. Um, Noah or anyone else, do you want to talk about any of the playing games in the other series? Uh, this has been really helpful in helping me to further confuse myself for more informed reasons about the Clippers.
4: Oh, although one thing for the Clippers this year that I noticed, they didn't really go- try much uh, small ball this year.
0: Even maybe with you know, like Morris at the center,
4: ball. yeah. I'm seeing many of those lineups. Maybe that's you know. A card that Tyron Lue has been holding for the playoffs, but I've seen that way less than I expected.
0: Who would be the fifth player in that scenario? Batum.
4: See, I, I would actually like. I, I think if you're going to go uh, small ball, I think that's when uh, m- man would make a, a lot of sense. But I mean, you, you can you can honestly like choose a, a variety of different small ball lineups. That's you know part of mm-hmm. the appeal of, of the Clippers, in my opinion. But I just haven't yet hasn't been much more set five.
0: Right. He's yeah. I mean, it'll about. be interesting to see. I mean, in theory, if you have a Baca and he's playing his, the way he does, you don't need to do that. So that'll be interesting. Um, we haven't talked at all about Denver, or Portland or Dallas, or we haven't, I mean, are you, are, do either of these East games really do much for you in the play in tonight? Um, obviously, as I mentioned earlier on Twitter, for those of y'all, we're going to come back and be live during the Celtics-Wizards game. Uh, Ben's going to come on. I think Varun's going to come on, uh, our limited upside producer. We're going to kind of sync it up to the TV. We're going to just talk through what we're seeing. I'll hopefully give you a sense of what it's like to watch a game with me. Um, we're going to do that. Game is gonna... first? What's that? Which game Which game is first? The Indiana-Charlotte game is at 6.30. Karis Levert not playing because he's in health and safety protocols. So no Brogdon, no Levert. Uh, Miles uh, Turner. No, no Miles TG1. Turner. Sabonis so is questionable, I believe. Um, I said at the beginning of this show that, like, I, I think Charlotte would have been really interesting. um, But Hayward got hurt. I think... I think LaMelo Ball has gotten a little too much credit for Charlotte's season. Not to say that he's been bad. He's been really exciting. But I think the really the best player in that team was Hayward. And once he got hurt, I think it took a lot away from them. And you saw it in the end of the season where even with LaMelo coming back, it didn't stem their decline. Um, I would would be more scared of Charlotte if Hayward were healthy. But now I think Charlotte's going to probably win that game. I'm not sure how excited I I am by it. I would –
4: I think it'd be really fun to you know watch. I mean, the Hornets have been fun to watch this year. I'd enjoy a couple more Hornet games before before they're gone for the season. See see a bit more of the Mello.
0: No so, Eric I mean, Collins though. That'd be a, that's a bummer.
4: No, oh
0: no, no Eric Collins. Oh yeah, every, no, no the the announcer, the the crazy excited yeah, announcer oh, yeah, that no, we so all just, love. Just
4: every game will be on national TV. Uh, I mean, we'll see the, the East. East plane is kind of like, I mean, it, it, it's hard not to look ahead and see that doesn't lead that far. Unlike in the West, where you know the plane has really has like a lot of
0: implications. Right. Everyone's excited about L.A. Golden State. I think it'll be an awesome game. I, it's one of those games where it's hard to see the Lakers losing, but the Warriors are the type of underdog team that could pull it off. Um. I, again, like I think it, if the Lakers play, I mean, are we writing Phoenix off too quickly? That's a question a lot of people have. Uh, if it's the Lakers that they play, you know, I've said before that I think Golden State, I think Phoenix can beat Golden State. I think it's a good matchup for Phoenix. Um, the Lakers, I think, are a brutal matchup. But are we writing that off too quickly? Like, it does feel kind of like shortchanging Phoenix a little bit?
4: I mean, I think, yeah, over the last like uh, maybe month or so, I. Th- Phoenix's flaws have started to, you know, show a, a, a bit more. Um, I mean, it, it's just like, yeah. Defensively, they've
0: slipped a little bit. I
4: don't know. And then also, you know, I think you said just like not having enough juice on, on offense to kind of. I mean, obviously, against the Lakers, it's not going to be a shootout, but this, the Suns don't, you not know, have the firepower to win, like. Something like that. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It just, I'll be really upset if they get the Lakers because this, you know, fantastic season just to end in the first, potentially end in the first round. I don't
0: know. Yeah. Bit of a bummer.
4: Phoenix has kind of been like there all season. I feel like they've been talked about a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, we should take a step back for perspective. I think if you had told Suns fans that they would have had, they would have been. Let's say the Suns were the five seed and lost the, the four seeded Lakers. They would still found that to be a very successful season given preseason expectations. So, uh, you know, I think it's important for them to remember that. the The trouble with the Lakers matchup is that the Suns are. I've, I I think I, I forget. It. I was talking about this on a locked on Lakers or locked on Suns pod, but the Suns are like a real grinded out, like kind of get into you, kind of grind you down type of team. Uh, exploit every edge, cut at the perfect times, make every little thing you do uncomfortable. They're kind of like a super Grizzlies um, with like better offensive players. Uh, and part of the problem is that you saw what Anthony Davis did to the Rockets in the playoffs last year, a team that was kind of similarly built defensively. Um, the, the, the Lakers can do that to you, and they're bigger. So the Rockets I, didn't have a DeAndre Aiden. I'll say that. I mean,
4: for all his flaws, Aiden is a massive human being.
0: But what, what does that do in that matchup exactly? Especially, especially, I mean, I, I don't really I see. I'm not saying that that like like I just don't see how Aiden really flips the scales. I mean, they don't the 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 defense. I'm talking more about the defensive style and the offensive style. They do have Aiden. If you put eight and Anthony Davis, LA, you give LA license to go big and crash the offensive glass. If LA goes small, they can go small and be bigger than you. I, I just think it's going to be really challenging.
4: Yeah, I, uh, I don't I, like cool. that matchup. I mean, who do they? Who are the Lakers even going to play at center? That's that's still a question. I have I have no idea what they're going to do with center in the playoffs. Yeah,
0: one of the things I'm actually really curious about and. Um, if you look at some of these eight teams in the play and um, you see this a little bit with the Wizards and their like, kind of wacky center rotation. You see this with um, Golden State a little bit. Um, you see it with, uh, I think the Lakers are a prime example as well, uh, where these teams are nece- aren't necessarily starting their best lineups. Um, and so we keep thinking, like, well, when, when are the Lakers just going to go small? When or or not play one of these centers? When can the the Wizards afford to throw Alex Len out there? Like, What is the urgency level of these coaches to kind of just go straight to the point of like kind of the rotations and the style? You know, in a one-off elimination game, like there's no time to mess around with this stuff. So a lot of times in series, coaches like to leave these sort of adjustments and starting lineup changes and all this stuff to the end because they want to have that as an option for later in the series. If you go to it early and it doesn't work, you sort of undermine your faith, both in you've undermined your faith in your regular season team. I, I talked about Dallas and golden state years ago that we believe like the Mavericks started that series by benching their centers and they never recovered. That's the danger of making an adjustment too early, but there is no too early in a, in a single elimination game or I don't know. What do you call like the seven, eight matchup? Is that like a double elimination game? Well, it's like a half elimination game because you have another chance after, right? It's
4: against you know a significantly worse team. I don't know. I mean, I think you know it's it's not uh, the best kept secret that the Lakers are eventually going to go eighty at five when it matters. They'll probably also you know um, uh, put put uh, give Mark Gasol the m- most minutes. It's just and obviously LeBron simplifies uh, like basically everything on offense and on defense you know they they were able to hold it down without those two so i think it's not the most fun question i guess it's like
0: what did you do for the warriors game would you just start small or would you play who would you start at that at um at alongside davis would you Make Davis your five right off the jump, or would you start? Would you try to kind of see how Drummond looks for a bit and then go to it? Would you start Casal? Would you start Montrezl Harrell? Uh, what do you? I'm very curious the urgency level that you, you would want to show in that matchup.
4: Well, I mean, obviously, I guess. You like you don't have to play to what the Warriors do, but if you want to, the Warriors only really have a, one lineup, which is their starting lineup, when they can like actually go big. So the Lakers don't have to mirror that for long. I mean,
0: so I, so I, you would I start Drummond,
4: or yeah, I'll start whoever they want to start at at center. If it gets bad, if you need, if you really need to step up on those on those screens, I'll. You can put AD at the five, but I think the Lakers are one of the best equipped teams to you know uh, cover staff, just because of the how how they rotate all their length on size on the perimeter.
0: probably maybe agree you, with that. Like I, maybe they next a bit when you when you're saying next, you're referring to uh, so people understand it's like a strategy, a defensive strategy that teams use where if you're coming off a uh, like a wide screen curling to the middle, the guy. Who's guarding the a player on the opposite wing will kind of switch into that curl, and then the player that was guarding the guy curling will kind of go to that guy. They they essentially X they cross each other. Yeah, um, so
4: the guy that's what
0: people are referring to.
4: Yeah, the person who's guarding um, the guy receiving the screen, he will just fly over him and guard the next guy on the perimeter. I mean, I think the Lakers are probably the best equipped team to put that strategy into action.
0: Probably so. Um, I don't know if they're going to do anything so elaborate, because. But I think you're probably right. I mean, the bigger reason I like that matchup for them is that you know, it's guys like Caruso, Schroeder, uh, uh, KCP, the they they're gonna like they're gonna play him physically, and so. And then you also consider that LeBron is probably gonna. Go back to some of his 2016 tricks and target Steph on defense. They're equipped to at least wear Steph down. I think the same is true of Phoenix, and that's why I think that if um, that's a tough matchup for the Warriors, because Phoenix has got just a lot of guys that will get into you, um, and that just will have an effect kind of lo- later on. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. I mean, but, you know, Steph is capable of just doing bonanzas and just warping a game. So you always have to give him a chance. Uh, but I, w- I would I probably agree that like the, the Lakers should be pretty solid favorites no matter who they start at center. But it, it'll be interesting just to see like the, the knowledge of them having another chance, especially these seven, eight games. Like we'll see again with the Wizards as well. Like. In that Charlotte game that became like kind of a must-win to get the eighth seed, they just stopped playing Alex Len. And are they gonna do that tonight? Uh, are the Lakers just gonna stop playing stop messing around and just go right to it? What is the level of urgency? I mean, is Boston gonna um what who is Boston gonna throw out there? You know, if are they gonna just start Fournier and play offense? Like uh what are they gonna do? Like the fact that if you're in an elimination 9-10 game, like obviously to me, all caution to the wind in that, like you just don't want to mess around. But the 7-8 matchups will be a little interesting because there is still like kind of a second chance for them. Uh, do you treat it like an elimination game or not? The, uh, the it's, 7-8? It's
4: a- I mean, well, if, if the Lakers have a preference, I mean, are, I, I know like the Clippers are really trying to avoid the Lakers, or do you think the Lakers are trying to avoid the Clippers like that?
0: I, I don't mean, think so, no.
4: Yeah, then you want to win. So, I mean, Lakers, it, it's just like choose uh, choose uh, the path you want to take to the finals. And then, I mean, in in the 9-10 game, I mean, you already uh, competed with uh, quotation marks. You, you made um, the play-in, like, I, obviously you go all, all out, but I mean, it's not the end of the world if you get some extra lottery balls.
0: Yeah. But I don't think the players or the coaches are thinking that, you know, like, no, I but think but I'm if I'm saying, a... like, they may not treat it like
4: a game seven, maybe like,
0: I, I bet five. they will. I mean, the players and the coaches, I think will, um, I think, I think, yeah. from Organizationally, like if you're, if you're the Spurs, like, do you really want the eight seed? Like, I, I get it, but I think I don't think that Popovich and the players, I think they're going to treat it like a game seven. That the, the uh, I, I, I think that that's what they're going to do. Like, I, I, that Grizzly Spurs game might be kind of interesting for just because, like, I don't know what the hell Pop's going to do. Like, I could see him throwing out a lot of weird strategies in a one-off um, to kind of throw, especially with Memphis being a team that is prone to these breakdowns and you can kind of rattle them a little bit sometimes. Like I, I'm just wondering that that is like kind of an interesting scenario. I, I wonder what pop, if he has something weird up his sleeve, like, is he going to literally like guard go like 700 feet under on John Morant Paul screens? You know, like what, what is he going to do there? <laughs> like, I just wonder what kind of mind games he's going to, they're going to play
4: maybe i mean if the grizzlies lose they would have you know lost the first two playing games in the history of the playing
0: they will i kind of like the spurs in that matchup now more i think about it i don't know why something just got a weird spidey sense that i know that like memphis is the moment's going to be a little too big for them can't explain
4: the moment's never too big for dylan brooks
0: no, oh, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it, sometimes you wish the moment was a little smaller for Dylan Brooks. Uh, all right, any other thoughts on the planes? Like I said, we're going to be back at 9 o'clock tonight during the Celtics-Wizards uh, game. Anybody in the chat want to kind of talk about anything we haven't talked about? Any, any other sort of playoff stuff? Do you agree with me that this is the most wide-open playoffs in a long time?
4: Oh, yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I'd say oh, to rivaling this, maybe 2,000 2000- – and sixteen, although that was a bit different because you had like seventy three. When
0: four... Warriors teams year, I don't know if that was wide
4: but, open. Not not wide open, but I'm saying you had four like le- legit, legit, extremely high level teams contending. But I mean, in terms of just like sheer amount of teams, this is definitely the the widest because you you have four teams in the West that could possibly make it, and then you have three teams in the East. So, I mean, seven, seven teams who could win the championship. That's, that's, that's huge. I mean, last year was like the most wide open we thought in a long time, but yeah, this is definitely pretty Mm
0: -hmm.
4: wide open, although it probably the championship probably goes to, you know, LA or Brooklyn, but
0: yeah, that's likely I, I actually weirdly like last year, the heat, Made it more wide open than it really was. Like you know, coming into the playoffs, I kind of thought there were only three title contenders last year. And of course, one of the one of the ones that wasn't made the finals. Uh, Angel Heat being the Bucks in six. We talked a little bit earlier about why we think the Bucks are much better equipped to handle Miami. So we don't think so, but we'll see. Um, Bucks have a rough path to to the finals. Oh, do, they do, and they don't. I mean, yes, but also I think they match up pretty well with Brooklyn. I think that. I mean, nobody really wants to play the Nets at full strength, of course. But Milwaukee, I think, has a. Pr- that, that's not going to be any. That, I think, that series is more of a toss up than, than people give it credit for, I think. Oh, yeah. I think that An series opposite. is going to be really interesting if it happens. A, a final ob- objection
4: is that I, I have the Hawks over the Nets.
0: So you do. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I think the Hawks are a better more talented team, they have more options. I just I th- I like that matchup for New York. I think uh I think that they are going to be able to play their style on them. I think they've got a lot of good options to shut down a lot of the Hawks' best options and they I think most importantly Randall there's less of a like sort of fear that he's going to just be blitzed and hounded against that Hawks team than there would be against Miami. Um, So I I think the Knicks – I, I had the Knicks winning that series. I guess we'll see.
4: I mean, so something to keep my eye on was obviously the Knicks. They started the first chunk of the season with, like, outlier opponent three-point shooting, like 31%. And then, for like, the next segment of the season, it was uh 35%, which is kind of back to normal, like 33% on the season, which kind of overstays their defense a bit. And then when you're going against the Hawks, I mean, Bogdanovich has been, like – on fire for right now, a Trey Young can can obviously shoot. I think like their Knicks are still being a bit, uh, you know, a, a bit lifted up by their opponent three point shooting numbers, and the Hawks are really going to shoot well. I,
0: um, I, I well, really why, like the why is Bogdanovich's like, hot shooting not also an outlier?
4: I mean, or his shooting may regress a bit, but. Um, Nate McMillan has kind of like incorporated everyone in, in, into the offense. There's like like yeah, you wrote earlier in the season about how there wasn't any any right. trust. I mean, there's like so much uh, a lot of off ball movement. In the They're much now. better.
0: They're much better. Just yeah, a
4: lot of stuff you like actually playing as a unit. And I mean, they have. I do mean, They just have so many guys who have that like sh- sh- shoot, uh, shoot, dribble, pass skill set. And I-, I value that a lot.
0: I do too. I think setting. that, yeah. And I-, I think if the Hawks played the Heat, like I-, I have, I would pick Atlanta to win that series. All, no question. I, I think that's a bad, I don't think the Heat have a, um, I think they have a lot. They offer a lot of problems for Miami. And I think Miami doesn't have the offense to keep up. And, you know, the Knicks don't either, but the Knicks have, more of a structure, I think, that can adopt to Atlanta's best guys. And I think that Randall will target Trey Young over and over and over again. And right, I so and then when watch. you talk about Rosen quickly off the bench, I think that's gonna be a really tough series for Trey Young defensively in a way that Miami they don't really play in a way that targets in the same way as New York does. And so, and you know, it's interesting, like the New York, I think, I think it it is true that generally they probably got a little lucky with how many threes were missed by their opponents. But I think they're also doing a lot of stuff to make those threes difficult. And so theoretically, if you're playing a team that like shoots a lot of spot up threes, I think the Knicks are actually pretty well equipped to make those tougher. So
4: yeah, maybe I I felt much worse um about Trey defensively against the Heat than I did against the Knicks. Cause I mean, obviously you know the Heat have uh J- J- Jimmy Butler who if he gets Trey he'll just completely bulldoze uh th- th- through him. But but then also you know if they try to hide Trey off ball the Heat have or not a lot of but they have Duncan Roberts and Tyler Hero who are legit off ball shooters. So if even, as far as the Hawks as far away from the action as the Hawks try to put Trey, that he had the means to keep dragging him back in. I mean, the, yeah, the Knicks have Randall who can get this the switch onto Trey. But, I mean, uh, other than that, they're, he's like really their only – Or I mean, they have RJ, I guess, but he's like their main way of taking advantage of, of,
0: well, of they have, just... they have They have Rose off the bench, and they have – who I think will attack him relentlessly pretty much too – uh, I think that's something not to forget about uh, so i I think the I just think the Knicks are gonna be into him a lot and I, mean, I think that the Knicks defensively I think will be into him a lot and i I you know they they may bait him into tough decisions. And then from Randall's point of view, like I just don't think there's a player on Atlanta where like if he if if that person is like bugging Randall, Like that you're really scared of. I mean, unless unless DeAndre Hunter is like fully healthy and fully locked in, like they don't have a good matchup for Randall. And Randall has crushed them in the regular season, like torched them. So whereas again, if if Randall's going against Miami, Miami has so many different guys that they can throw towards him. So I mean, look, we'll see. I, I I could be wrong. You might be right. I think the Atlanta has more offensive has certainly is a more talented team. Um but I think, think this is a good I think the Knicks did about as well as you possibly could have hoped if they wanted to advance you know I think they were drawing dead against Miami they're drawing dead against Milwaukee uh, Atlanta I think they I think it's at least a 5050 for them.
4: Do you think that either of those teams could give you know maybe take Philly to six or so?
0: We talked about it a little earlier. Um, I don't I don't think so. Atlanta maybe because Atlanta can, Perhaps string Joel out. And if Capella is playing well, maybe Joel won't bludgeon him. How uh, is Capella because,
4: on Embiid gone historically?
0: Well, I have to check the numbers, but I know Joel's often played the Hawks well, but I, that was pre-Capella. Um the thing is like with Trey, like Trey is taking a lot fewer of those sort of like giant super long pull-up threes than he ever has. He's taking a lot more floaters. He's getting into the lane more. And You know, maybe he'll revert back, but if he's going to try to like kind of get into the teeth of the defense each time, New York and Philly don't offer a whole lot of avenues for what happens when you do. Like they're they're ferocious with the way they they kind of crowd the paint and then spray out. So, to me, there's like Trey's going to have to shoot a lot of over the top shots that he started not to take as much. In either of those series, um, if he does that, I mean, I think I think Atlanta offers some challenges for Philly, for sure. Uh, I think the Knicks probably they would have a lot of trouble because again, Philly's got a lot of Randall options. They don't have the ability to spread Joel out. That that will be a tough series for them. But I could see Atlanta giving the the Sixers some problems.
4: Yeah, at least you know Hawks Knicks looks like a really fun first round series. Mm-hmm. Which I, I I always have a, a special place in my heart for those, you know, like um very close first round series between two like good but great teams. I mm-hmm. just it was so fun. Yeah,
0: there's a, there's like something on the line for them in a way that's kind of fresh. Um, all right, well, any other thoughts uh, from anyone in the chat? If not, we're gonna lock this down and we're gonna come back at nine o'clock. Anybody? Only once It's going twice. Okay, thank you so much for joining us on this limited upside live chat. We'll be back at 9 o'clock. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Jackson. Thank you to uh, everybody else who came on and asked a question. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back again at 9 uh, for a live chat during and after Wizard Celtics. We'll see you then. <laughs>